This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Sunday, June 27th. It is about 9.45 Central Time in Chicago and the Cubs and Dodgers have just wrapped up a four-game set. And Brendan, this one started about as well as it could have started. The Cubs and Zach Davies, with a little help from the three top members of the bullpen, throw a combined no-hitter and shut out the Dodgers 4 to nothing on Thursday. And for a series that we were all pretty worried about, uh, that was a really good way to start it. Kind of felt like you were playing with house money the rest of the series. Yep. And it all went downhill from there. The Cubs uh, do not score more than two runs in any of the final three games. They drop all three of them. And, you know, we went into this series with pretty low expectations, Brendan. For one, the Dodgers are a good team. Uh, They had gotten some guys back, Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger back for this series. Obviously, you're facing Clayton Kershaw in one of the games, Walker Bueller. So there was certainly not necessarily a lot of blind optimism going into this series. But nonetheless, I think you're okay with a one and three four games set here. However, when things start with such a fun and exciting night on Thursday, it's, I think, fair to be pretty disappointed with how this series ultimately plays out. Yeah, you still don't want to forget about that no-hitter in Dodger Stadium, the second no-hitter in under six years. And at Dodger Stadium, the Cubs were the only team to no-hit them in the last two times. So I'm not going to forget that, and I think that is important. And the other games after that, it's not surprising, right? You face good pitching. We've seen this lineup at times uh, be highly, highly variable. And against guys who induce a lot of whiffs, that's what happened to the Cubs. They came out of this with uh, one win. That's for me. That was what I wanted, you know, low, low bar there, but that is what we got. And you got to just hope that you get Nico back here soon. You play well against Milwaukee coming up, and you're still in decent shape. So we are going to take a look at all of these four games, uh, break down a little bit of went on, and then, you know, of course, at the end, we will set up uh, what figures to be a pretty big showdown there in Milwaukee with the Brewers. And Brendan, I think it's, you know, fair to say, uh, again, you know, we were kind of okay with uh, a one and three four game set here against the Dodgers but you know kind of your level of comfort with that sort of does depend on how you show up and play in Milwaukee if you go to Milwaukee and have a really nice series as certainly nobody's going to care how you performed this weekend against the Dodgers you do still end up winning the season series with the Dodgers so you've done well against teams like the Dodgers the Padres the Mets etc some of these uh, upper call them upper tier, I guess, however you want to phrase that. You know, you played well against some some good competition, but you, you have to now take that into taking care of business in your own division. That's what it comes down to. And I think the Cubs are in a decent position. Yeah, I know the bullpen was a little overworked, but having Tommy Nance go two innings and Rex Brothers go two innings the first time in a long time for Brothers, you get into a position where you have your starting rotation go a little bit deeper. You have Kyle Hendricks pitching this uh, upcoming series. You're going to get Zach Davies back on the mound. And so you have to hope that in those games, you go deep, the bullpen is somewhat rested, and you come away with a series win. I mean, Milwaukee's had a soft schedule lately, right? And at some point, 
it is going to flip. The Cubs have been on a brutal run the past four weeks. It is going to flip. They're within three games, and they're they're in good position. I don't think. I think you can react to this Dodgers series in, in a negative way overall, and I get that. But it's again, it's not to be like totally unexpected. This was this was always in my mind like the more likely outcome to come away with only one win and looking pretty bad. You know, not just taking care of business against your own division, but that's kind of the key with the way that we've been looking all of this, right? We we keep going back to kind of how everybody knew that this month of June, in particular, this road trip uh, starting out in LA and that last uh, West Coast road trip with San Francisco and San Diego, you know, those are tough trips. It's been a tough portion of the schedule. They faced a lot of really good pitching. And, you know, we don't kind of lay that out as an excuse, you know, when they when they have a bad weekend like this. But but the key is to note that, but then it's on the Cubs to take care of business, right? Like, that's the whole point in this. The, the Brewers have played mostly the Rockies, who are really awful. Um, the Diamondbacks, the Pirates, it's been a very soft schedule for them. And it's fair to point that stuff out while you're pointing out that the Cubs' schedule has been very tough. And it's fair to address that that is going to flip. The Brewers' schedule is going to get a lot harder going forward here, and the Cubs are done facing some of these better teams for the rest of the season. But but pointing all of that out doesn't matter, right, if the Cubs don't take advantage of a weaker schedule and if the Brewers get through a tougher portion of the schedule. So it's it's a mixed bag, right? It's it's fair and I think a good point to discuss all of that. And and like you said, Brendan, I think given who the Brewers have been playing and who the Cubs have been playing, I think if you're Milwaukee, you might want an even bigger lead by this point with how these schedules have gone. You know, the Brewers didn't take advantage uh, of at least some of those games, maybe in the way that they could have. And I think if you're them, you might be looking and saying, maybe we should have a bigger lead at the moment. So that's good for the Cubs, but they have to pay it off. And it starts on Monday in Milwaukee. I would be more worried if the bullpen showed signs of a huge breaking. They didn't. They completed a no-hitter. I know DePera came out in that second game and gave up those bombs there, but that's that's fine. If anything, the obvious features of the Cubs are still there. The bullpen is strong. You do have uncertainties in that back end of the starting rotation, and you have some hit-or-miss profiles in that lineup that are continuing to show, at times, power and just bad approaches. So if we were going into the series with a bullpen that's like not you know collapsing but showing signs of breakage, then I would be concerned. But until that bullpen shows those huge signs of breakage, which at this point, I don't think you can expect that, I don't see a reason to completely worry right now. And if anything, I think it's still a point of optimism where we are in this point. So I'm I'm fine with it. I just you know reset expectations, right? That's that's kind of what I try to do here. And I'm always thinking about that bullpen when I get down on this team on the offense and seeing like Jake Arrieta look a little bad and you know worrying about some of these hitting injuries. I think about that bullpen. This bullpen is unique. We've never had a bullpen like this. I don't think Major League Baseball has had a bullpen like this with so many guys capable of going multiple innings. And that is going to ultimately be what the Cubs rely on to get them through September and hopefully a playoff push. 
before uh, I'll, I'll do the a quick recap next of these four games again mostly Dodger wins so I'll keep it brief uh, but do want to note Trevor Williams started the game for the Iowa Cubs on Sunday two scoreless innings no walks and two strikeouts so his rehab assignment is underway he looked good uh, Nico Horner also started the game for Iowa on Sunday uh, I think took two plate appearances had a hit there was a video from uh, a fan that I saw uh, going around on Twitter of him doing some some pretty heavy sprinting after the game, uh, you know, beyond the wall or whatever uh, after the game in Iowa. So he looks pretty good. I don't know how long they envision that rehab stint, but he was busting it. He started the game. So I think we're very close to Nico rejoining this team. Justin Steele also getting into some of those games. So he is working his way back. So uh, there are some reinforcements on the way. The update on Matt Duffy still kind of uh, a little vague. They said maybe closer to the All-Star break. I think they talked to Matt and he said that, you know, he kind of tried to start the rehab process a little too early, maybe not being honest with where his back was at. Uh, so, you know, no no setback there necessarily, just sort of seemed like he was not ready to really let it go and get himself back. So maybe, a, a, you know, a few more weeks on that, but still hopeful that that is soon. So some reinforcements are on the way. So Uh, Keep that in mind. And with that, let's just touch on these four games right quick. So on Thursday, it was four to nothing. The Cubs winning that one. The Cubs getting their runs in that game on a Javi Baez home run, his 17th. Wilson Contreras home run, his 13th. And a Jake Marisnik single that scored Jason Hayward. Uh, the obvious, you know, the lead in this game was the Cubs throw a combined no-hitter. Zach Davies picks up his fifth win, six innings, no hits, of course, no runs. He did walk five and struck out four. I I don't say this to make excuses. The umpiring was atrocious in this series for both teams. On both sides, it was equally awful, just a mess. So he he did walk more guys than he struck out. I do just want to point out, though, Dodgers are a very patient team, and I the zone was not good. So just just a, a sort of editor's note on on that particular line. Uh, following him was the three guys you expect who would have finished off a combined no hitter, and that is Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, and Craig Kimbrell. Each of them uh, come in, obviously no hits, no runs. Each of them do walk a guy. Uh, no strikeouts for Tapera and Chafin, but Kimbrel strikes out three because, of course, he does. Uh, his ERA now 0.59, which is uh, pretty good, Brendan. So uh, that was a combined no-hitter, which we'll touch on uh, first when we jump out of this recap. So quickly through these three Dodger wins to finish off the weekend. 6-2 to two was the final on Friday. Arietta was okay, fine. I, you know, I don't know how you want to judge it. The result was fine, certainly fine for a game against the Dodgers. Five innings, five hits, two earned runs, three walks, and four strikeouts. Pitched out of several jams, uh, which is why I say it, you know, it was just fine. But in terms of the result, you'd take it. Unfortunately, the offense couldn't, uh, you know, make do of of Arietta getting through five innings with only two runs. I'm sure Brennan will have more for us on Jake. Um, The Dodgers getting the rest of their runs off of Ryan Tapera, so sort of his first kind of blow up uh, that we've seen from him giving up a home run there. And Tommy Nance also gives up a home run in that one. It's Tapera's first loss taken of the year. The Cubs getting their runs in this one on Chris Bryant's 15th home run of the year and a Jock Peterson sack fly. 
On Saturday, it was a 3-2 Dodgers win. The starter for the Cubs in this one, Alec Mills. Four innings, eight hits, two earned, two walks, and two strikeouts. He was okay. A lot of hard contact. Eight hits, like I said, so that is certainly a lot. Uh, But again, you know, Mills coming back uh, from the injury. Prior to that, he had been, you know, sort of in that swingman bullpen role. So a tough spot for him to be thrown in, and he did fine. You know, again, through four innings. Through four innings of Mills and five innings of Arietta, however you evaluate their pitching, uh, the Cubs were in the games, right? And the offense just couldn't get it done, which I think for those two guys in a pretty tough spot on the road against the Dodgers, you'd take it. They just couldn't pay it off. Um, the Cubs got their runs in this one on Anthony Rizzo's 10th home run of the year and Ian Happ tied the game in the fifth with an RBI double. That was a pinch hit spot for Happ. Uh, the Cubs lose this game on a walk-off from Cody Bellinger. Bit of controversy. It did appear that Jason Hayward hit what would have been a go-ahead home run at the time. Uh, it was ruled to be foul, even though the third-base umpire called it fair on the field, and even though when we all saw the replay, you did not see the ball pass in front of the pole. Now, David Ross said that you know, MLB had some magic view that the public cannot see that confirmed it was not a home run and that it was a foul ball. You know, I don't know. Obviously, umpires are awful, and I never trust them. And I don't know why they have a camera view that is a secret to everybody but the people making the call. Uh, or to only, you know, yeah, everybody but the people making the call. Would just be nice if they could show us what definitive evidence they have. But alas, uh, anyway, I think Jason Hayward hit a go-ahead home run that would have brought Craig Kimbrell, and you can play that out in your head, but that is not how MLB saw it and not ultimately the result. And then on Sunday, just a mess. Uh, 7-1 to Dodgers, Adbert Alzali was bad in this game. His command was really awful, um, so we'll see what Brendan has for us on Adbert, but uh, it is his seventh loss of the year, three innings, five hits, four earned runs, six runs total, three walks, three strikeouts, and two home runs, one of those being a grand slam. Again, you know, Adbert coming back uh, only a couple starts now since he came back from the injured list. You know, this is one of those uh, one of those starts for a young guy. It's a, a very tough Dodger offense, and it didn't go well. So, you know, there's there's a learning experience in there, but uh, just was not Adbear's day on Sunday. The Cubs getting their lone run in this game on an opposite field home run from Javi Baez, his 18th, and you guys do not care how the Dodgers got their runs. Uh, Not much doing against Clayton Kershaw. Uh, Eight innings, four hits, one earned, one walk, and 13 strikeouts for Clayton Kershaw. So uh, pretty vintage Clayton Kershaw there on Sunday Night Baseball. And that was all she wrote. So Brendan, plenty to to dig into here. Uh, I do want to start on the positive, though. And the positive was what we saw on Thursday. You know, a combined no-hitter certainly is not the same as a regular no-hitter, but it was still very cool. And I think there's there's two points of this that really stood out to me. Obviously, Zach Davies is the one that started the game. He goes six innings, so he deserves a lot of credit here. It's it's another good start for him. So that one against the Marlins is, is looking like more of an outlier, at least for the recent stretch for Zach Davies. So that is good, right? He was able to go six innings. That's all good. His ERA down to 4.3. So all of that trending in the right direction for Davies. But the the two points that I think were the coolest about Thursday night were, one, Wilson Contreras catching his first no-hitter. 
Uh, he's been on this team, but in the no-hitters we've seen in the past, uh, it was, you know, Miguel Montero or David Ross catching those games. And Wilson has made a ton of strides with his framing, his receiving, and he's also, you know, been the the lead starting catcher for several years now, getting better at calling games, working with different pitchers, and he deserved that. He deserved to be a part of that. He deserved to call a no-hitter, to be able to catch that final out and just be a part of that. So that was really cool for Wilson. But also, the those three guys in the bullpen, Tapera, Chafin, and Kimbrell, and the bullpen as a whole, but in particular, those three guys have been incredible for this team. They are a huge, huge reason that this team is even as competitive as they are, right? I don't even want to know what this team would look like if they didn't have such a, a dominant bullpen. And these three guys deserve to be a part of something like this. It was cool to have these guys kind of carrying the pitching staff in a way for a large portion of this season. And they get to kind of put an exclamation point on that with the three of them and only the three of them out of the bullpen being a part of something special there along with Zach Davies. You, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, they're the big reason why they're still in it. They're, they're, they're the reason why this team is in it. It's, it's Tepera, Chafin, Kimbrell. It's also Tommy Nance. It's also Keegan Thompson. It's the bullpen unit as, as a whole. And hopefully when we're looking back at this in September and we're you know, hopefully like celebrating a division or playoff berth and the bullpen is still strong, this is the lasting image of what this season will be remembered for. It's going to be this strong bullpen and Kimbrel, Tapera, Chafin, you know, all smiling and celebrating that they contributed to an overall no hitter, and I love that. I love too that Chafin and uh, Kimbrel had no idea that they were even throwing a no hitter, and it kind of adds to that like persona of both of them. You know, just completely zoned out and and in their own craft. I, I absolutely love it. From Davy's perspective, I think you're right. I think the the Marlins outing is likely an an outlier. The command five walks. Don't want five walks. I don't think he deserved five walks. I thought most of his spots were hit. When you look back and see where Wilson's setting up, Davies is hitting those spots. Uh, one feature that I that I kind of took notice from Davies was that he increased his cutter usage just a little bit. So I mean, he averages around five percent throughout the year. So that's like, you know literally five you know five cutters for every 100 pitches uh in that start though against the dodgers he he threw 11 cutters in 94 pitches so that i think is maybe noteworthy it could just be a scouting report thing who knows uh but he is continuously relying less on his changeup and relying more on his sinker and now maybe more on his cutter when he was with San Diego, he threw a changeup almost half the time. So he is dialing back a little bit. He, I mean, maybe that's one reason why he's been a little bit more successful compared to those early April starts when he was throwing a changeup once every two pitches. That could be a Tommy Hadaby type effect. But overall, what you're seeing from Davies, I think, is more comfort. You're seeing stinkers up and in like crazy. He's doing exactly what Kyle Hendricks does, and now he might be incorporating more pitches and dialing back those changeups a little bit, and maybe that will allow the opposing hitters to be caught off guard uh, slightly more. And that that should be encouraging. I think the entire series, if there's one 
takeaway beyond the bullpen is Zach Davies. To have Davies continue to look good is so important for this team, so important for the bullpen, and the entire outlook once the trade deadline approaches. I mean, if you can have Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies looking like their normal selves, and Kyle is doing that, but Davies in particular, and you know, the whole biz, Adber, his command gets a little better, his health is actually sustained, and he doesn't have to be limited by all these innings, perhaps. It looks rosier than maybe what we were thinking about even a few weeks ago, Corey. Zach, you know, a five-walk, four-strikeout performance, you know, coming off that start against the Marlins, he's not necessarily dominant in in that classical sense or anything like that, and he's had his struggles, to be sure. He did have 10 whiffs, though. Like, 10 whiffs, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's about league average, and against this team, yeah, to me, it's absolutely. an accomplishment. Yeah. But the the key with Davies is you need somebody to go along with Hendricks, providing you any level of consistency. And sure. again, save for that Marlin start, Davies had been doing that for a stretch, right? And you you want to evaluate the other guys properly, right? Adbert is young; he's going to have growing pains. He's coming off an injury. He's on a pitch limit, so you you want to approach how you analyze him correctly. Someone like Alec Mills is, you know, a starter, he's a reliever, he's up, he's down, he was also hurt, so you want to evaluate that correctly. Trevor Williams working his way back, Jake Arrieta, you know, obviously older, you you look at Arrieta differently than you look at these guys. The, The point is that everybody else has been inconsistent, and you're at least getting, for the most part, some level of consistency in terms of just knowing what you can expect from Davies, which at this point is maybe he's not going to, you know, blow the cover off the stat sheet, but he's he's going to give you solid starts that should keep the team in the game most of the time, right? And you, you need that, right? You, you're you're going to have a tough time if Kyle Hendricks is the only pitcher you can rely on with any sense of uh, consistency in terms of what they're going to give you on a nightly basis. So with that, let's talk about some of these other guys. I, I don't I don't really have too much to dig into on Alec Mills. I think in particular, a really tough matchup for him. The Dodgers have a lot of lefties. They're very patient. Um, and Mills was not hitting his spots. He was, he was very wild in this game. A uh, lot of hits. Only two walks, only two strikeouts. But for four innings, he kept the team in the game. Like I said, this is sort of a tough spot for a guy that has been changing roles and also was hurt. So I think a, a, a solid enough effort from Mills. Do you necessarily have a lot of confidence in him, you know, continuing in the rotation? I, I don't know, and you'd have to see, um, but it was fine for what it was this weekend. So let's talk about Arietta first, right? Let's just let's just keep doing this. So the the result ultimately which uh, if we're going to go back to Theo Epstein is not always how we view things. Theo Epstein was a big process over results guy, right? Um, Two runs in five innings against the Dodgers for a start that, you know, you and I, certainly me, had expected was not going to last more than two innings. You'll take it. And and the Cubs were in this game uh, and, and could have won this game based on Arietta's start. However, 
what did you think kind of under the hood and going forward? Did it change much of how you were viewing this? Does it, you know, I think I saw this question kind of being posed by a lot of Cubs writers and, and you know, people that talk about the team. You know, did this change how you view his standing in the rotation? Did it buy him more time in your mind? Did it buy him less time in your mind? Like, what are, what are you thinking coming out of this start? I'm not really thinking much different. Uh and I, I hate saying that, but you do have to be honest beyond just the results. Of course, he went deeper, and I think if there's positives, his velocity was up again. He averaged 92 miles per hour. His slider, cutter, uh, it was also being thrown faster, and he got five whiffs on that pitch and 17 pitches, but that's not enough. He needs more whiffs. We've talked about this so much. It, something needs to con- Something needs to change, and... We still didn't see it, and I. It's it's now July. Uh, he will be back on the mound in in July, and uh, I don't know what other reason, other than there's 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 nothing there to be optimistic about at at this point, and it depends what your expectations are. If you want Jake to be, you know, your five six inning guy, and you know, get through these starts. And maybe once the playoffs come around, maybe you're considering him as a fourth option or a guy out of the bullpen. If that's your expectations, <clears throat> then I think that's fine. I think it's fair to have those expectations. If your expectations are like me, that you can take Arietta's current stuff and optimize it and get more whiffs and turn him into a pitcher that's not just a fourth guy and not just a guy you talk about coming out of the bullpen in a playoff scenario, but actually someone upon whom you rely, I I am disappointed. And I think there is reason that he can turn a season around if changes are being made. I don't see those changes. Again, I, I talked about this every single episode, but I'm going to keep saying it until we actually see it. It makes no sense to me, Corey, that every single pitcher on this team who throws a sinker does so up and in. It doesn't make any sense to me why Arietta does not do that. You saw Davies, Corey, who did not really do that in San Diego, suddenly start to do that with the Cubs. You saw Hendricks do the exact same thing two and a half years ago. I, I don't understand what the process is, and you cannot convince me. Um, I feel very strongly. You cannot convince me that the results you see are status quo. I will not believe that. I don't believe a pitcher who throws 92 with that much movement, despite not being as crossfire as he used to be, I do not believe he cannot be more successful if he changes up some type of sequencing and repertoire. I don't. And I'm not a pitching coordinator. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, right? But I, I, I do see trends. I do see what they're trying to do with other guys. And I don't see the same intent being applied to Arietta, And I don't know why. Uh, a big key with Jake is that it's now, uh, with the five innings on June 25th against LA, it's been since May 14th that he's gone longer than five innings. As I said last time, like part of that is going to be David Ross picking and choosing when to let guys push through it or come back out. Yeah. Um, but he's still 92 pitches, Corey, against the Dodgers. Like, yeah, you know that's that's too many pitches in five innings. Right, and you know you're talking about I'm counting on air right now. One, two, three four, five, six, seven, eight straight outings, um, you know, five innings or less. There's a two-inning yeah. start in there. There's a couple three-inning starts in there. 
it's it's just tough to work with, um, you know. So he's able to manage some of these games and and you know keep them in a winnable range for the Cubs. Again, it, it all sort of becomes a problem of context, right? Where he's not like the fifth starter in this rotation, right? So you have a few guys in this position at the moment, and we'll see what Trevor Williams is able to do when he gets back. We'll see what the Cubs do, uh, you know, kind of with Alec Mills going forward and just how they approach all of this. Um, But it just sort of becomes a problem where, like I said, you're looking at Kyle Hendricks, who you know who he is. He's been dominant for these last eight starts in ERA, sub two and a half, I think, in these last eight starts. Zach Davies has been giving you more consistent outings, and you kind of know what you have there, but the entire rest of the rotation is just, you know, you kind of like shrug your shoulders. She's like, I don't know, right? They might give a decent outing. They might go two innings. They might get killed. They might, you know, walk the tightrope for four or five innings and keep the team in the game, but it kind of could go either way at any moment. You just don't know. So I I think, um, I don't know if we learned anything new here. I, I think we still know that this rotation needs someone who can provide length and do it consistency excuse me consistently while keeping mm-hmm. the team in the game and and so you can kind of look at these performances this weekend however you'd like i don't really think we got any new information um on the whole in terms of like what this team needs i think it's still obviously a position of need and it, it i don't think it's a situation brendan where you need cuz again this is the name that comes out despite, uh, you know, the the knowledge that he's looking for an extension if he does get traded. Max Scherzer is, like, obviously the name. Though Washington is competitive. I don't think they're even going to trade Scherzer, but he just comes up. You know, it's one of those guys. His contract's expiring, similar to the guys on the Cubs, right? So his name is going to come up just because the contract is expiring. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that the Cubs even necessarily need a type like that. You'd love a front-end starter, right? Of course, like, duh. But they it's they really simply like just need somebody who you have confidence in saying, yeah, this guy's gonna give us six to seven innings and we're gonna be in a winnable game every time, right? And they just don't have that from any of these guys uh, right now. So I want to transition to someone who you're kind of hoping can be doing that. Um, and that's Alzali. But the situation with him is he's coming back from an injury and he's a, a young pitcher. So, you know, putting that kind of pressure on him and, and maybe that expectation, not really want where you want to be. You'd prefer to be in a spot where you can allow Alzali to do his thing, come back from this injury, and, you know, make sure he's right. And if he's turning it on and taking that next step, it's great. And if you're dealing with these struggles, you're not necessarily feeling it as much. But when the rest of the rotation is kind of in that same spot, it puts yeah. a little more pressure on Adbert to be kind of taking that next step right away. And, you know, there there's still some growing pains there, clearly. I think he likes the pressure. I think he embraces it. But the extra pressure he has to throw more pitches to compensate for shorter starts is, is a huge problem for me. When you have Alec Mills and Arietta not being able to go beyond five innings, and then you have... Alzali coming in, he's clearly not looking good against the Dodgers because of his command. It puts more pressure on Ross and it puts more pressure on Alzali to stay out there and to throw pitches that are not your most competitive pitches. And you're taking away pitches from him that you might need two months from now. We we have no idea what this inning limit is, right? That That is a huge level of uncertainty that makes me uncomfortable. 
that is also why you need better starts previously before he gets on the mound so you can right. you can protect him right so if he's not looking good in the second inning you pull him out because your bullpen's fine and it's rested it doesn't have to go three innings like every yeah, single he, he's time. not the guy you want to be well we need length right like yeah not man. not with him yeah especially like right before the milwaukee series like that that for sure was the intent of keeping them out there and i overall i thought his start was clearly, you know, you saw the issues. The command wasn't there. His stuff was fine. His slider was still moving when he was commanding. But you look at those those individual illustrations of the zone map, mm-hmm. and he was just spiking sliders yeah. like crazy, right? Almost hitting Dodger batters in the, in the left batter's box there. So that was the issue. I think it's not really a huge level of concern for me. I think for whatever reason, this command is just not there. I don't know if it's just a feel thing. I don't know. It's not to accuse anyone of like using you know foreign substances, but I don't even know what type of substances that people can't use that were not really contributing to spin rate. Like I I don't know. His spin rate is is fine actually. There's no differences in spin rate now than before the whole thing happens. But you don't know like what he can't do, so maybe that's contributing to some stuff as well. I I I don't know. But I'm not really worried about it. I thought his last start out, um, you know, some of the issues were still there. But I'm fine. I'm feeling good about him. My my main issues always will be how many innings can he throw? Will he be available in September? And if he's not, then how do we restrict the current load so that he can pitch later on uh, in the fall? I, I do think it's sort of a perspective thing with Alzali, right? Like you, you just love to not be in a situation where you feel like there's some pressure on him. Um, and, you know, this. I, I saw uh, Russell Dorsey of the Sun-Times kind of going back and forth with someone uh, on this. And, you know, he pointed out that Alzali's allowed three earned runs or less in all but two starts this season prior to Sunday night. So that's now his third. Um, like, he's been really good and he's kept the team in a lot of games especially for a guy you know entering his first full season in an MLB rotation right like he's been good and he's taken a lot of those steps that you want him to take it's just unfortunately like the team needs more uh and it 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 shouldn't need more from him he should be on the timeline that he's on to have a a nice long career there in the Cubs rotation. But that's not, you know, that's not where it is. And, you know, Sunday night was one of those games, too, where it's up against Kershaw. The series split is on the line. It's Sunday night baseball heading into this Milwaukee series. You know, you sort of put a a level of hope and expectation on Alzali, and and it didn't happen. It's just one of those games. And uh, it it just sort of underscores the, the main point, which is that the Cubs... you know, hopefully Trevor Williams can come back and provide at least some stability and, and, you know, maybe just be uh, a little better than, say, Alec Mills or Jake Arrieta has been in terms of, uh, you know, the the results. Uh, But I I still am not sure that that's going to be the answer because Williams had had his up and down struggles as well. The the, the key point is you're going to need some rotation depth at some point. It doesn't have to be uh, someone competing for the Cy Young, but you, you need some consistency there 
and to be able to trust what you're getting out of uh, more guys in this rotation. Yeah. So, and with 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 Trevor Williams too, we saw some of the changes Hottie was trying to make with that curveball slider. We heard about Trevor trying to use that curveball more so in spring, and there were ups and downs before he was injured, right? So him being injured took away development time, and you also have to consider too with the deadline right around the corner. Did we lose the time that we can see if Trevor is developing into a better pitcher than what he was last year in Pittsburgh? And so that that, that is a factor to consider that's unfortunate. Uh, I don't know if you can rely or expect Trevor to get to that next step in a timely fashion. Maybe he can do it by September. But again, when you're looking at improving the rotation now, you may have lost that time. He only has like two or three starts to, to, to show that. And I don't think it's enough time to, to actually try to implement what they were working on earlier in the year. Yeah. So let's transition to the offense, which is, uh, yikes. Not good. So again, we, we've seen this, right? Like you you guys have (laughs) heard a lot of this before. We have seen this movie before. I really hope this time it has a different ending, but we've certainly seen this film before. So, uh, reading this, this, uh, stat nugget from Sahadev Sharma of The Athletic, Um, The Cubs struck out 15 times on Sunday night, and they are up to a 29.6% K rate as a team in the month of June, 36.7 in their last six games. Uh, Sahada finishes by saying, like, they are indeed facing a lot of tough pitchers. They faced a lot of good pitchers from these various teams and rotations, uh, but the team is hitting home runs. They are striking out, and even the walks are not really coming at the rate that we've seen, you know, from this offense, even when they've had the higher strikeout rate. So, Brendan, it's 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 not been good. Um, the Cubs score four on Thursday, but otherwise two, two, one, and that's kind of a familiar thing, right? Not just this year, but we've seen this in the past. So, we've noted, right? I, I mentioned earlier, Nico is working his way back. I don't know how long that rehab stint is going to be, but he looks to be about there, right? Um, Duffy a little bit longer, but they should be getting him back in a few weeks if if that progresses the right way. So you should be getting some reinforcements there. But in general, it has been a a pretty big struggle for a lot of these guys, and it's been the key guys, right? You know, we we look at a lot, and we've you know we've we've talked about Eric Sogard a lot. We've talked about Hayward a lot. Hayward, who had a nice weekend, uh, you know, some of it was beating out infield hits, but yeah. either way, <laughs> he was getting on base. He should have had that home run. Um, you know, he, he, he got on base, he got hits, right? And in a series where they didn't do too much of that, like you got to give him credit. So we've talked a, a good bit about those guys. You know, we've talked about the Jake Marisnik's of the world and his playing time, Sergio Alcantara, those guys. But the key right now, Brendan, is not those guys. It is Contreras, Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez. Because, to different degrees and at different times, those guys are struggling. And at the very least, they are not performing at that level that you need them to be at uh, for this team to really succeed. And you look at coming out of Sunday's game, Wilson Contreras has a 227 batting average and a 746 OPS. Chris Bryant now down to 265 and an 859 OPS, which from where he was, it has been a struggle for Chris Bryant. Anthony Rizzo, 248, 786 OPS. Javi, 228, 739 OPS. Like, 
this team is going, I don't care who's playing second base. I don't care what they're doing in the outfield. It, 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 all of that is not as important when you have three of those four guys with a sub 800 OPS. That, that is the key. And that, that's just where it falls. And, you know, that is how this team was built. And, and it earlier, you know, you go back to like last month in May, Javi was hitting, Bryant was, you know, had an OPS that was near a thousand, right? And we were remarking how we came into the season knowing that one of the keys was KB and Javi had to be better and turn things around from where they were last year. Now, neither of them, you know, they they both had awful years in 2020. So they're nowhere near that. But they have kind of gone back to not carrying the load as as much as they were. And the team really, really needs it. So I don't know if, you know, if you want to pick one of those guys to kind of start with, and, and there's not necessarily a, a big clear answer um, on all of them, but if you want to start with one of them, we can we can dig in somewhere. Uh, there's so, there, I mean, there's so much here. The entire lineup from all the big guys are struggling, and it's hard to figure out why. I, I don't even know if I want to say this. I've been, you know, listen, I, don't, I hate saying his name, Eric Sogard, but you have to be honest with what you're seeing in the month of June. And as disgusting as Sogard's numbers are, and they are just absolutely brutal, and he should not be on this team because of it, he is a weighted on base average of 237, a WRC plus of 49. Uh, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Ian Happ, uh, they have worse numbers in right. the month of June. Uh, Chris Bryant has a worse WRC plus than Eric Sogard in the month of June. Uh, it's it's been four weeks. Uh, Sogard has had 50 plate appearances. Bryant 81 plate appearances uh, before Sunday's game. You have to be honest with what you're seeing, and I don't know what the problem is. Now, granted, Sahadev did some good work, and he did show that Chris Bryant, for whatever reason, is facing really competitive pitches, and that be that that might be contributing to his slump. But it is so bizarre to me because for some players, you can pick up right in the data, like, okay, like Hayward, for example. All right, he's not hitting well because sliders are up 50% against him, and he has he has the worst run value in sliders of his career. There it is right there, sliders are chasing Hayward. For Chris Bryant, across the board, fastballs, cutters, sinkers, changeups, curveballs, everything, negative run value in the month of June. I don't understand the problem, and so... We'll have to dig into that a little bit more. Anecdotally, I remember from years past, people try to hammer KB up and in with fastballs like crazy. And I haven't really, I mean, they still try to do that, but I haven't seen that being like the overwhelming issue. You saw uh, this series, a lot of breaking pitches whiffed out, out in front. I know KB almost hit one out today, but it's a lot of whiffs from those guys. And and really the, the big general problem with this lineup in the month of June and again, it could be just a matter of facing good competition, but their chase rates are just astronomically high. You yeah. have Javi Baez chasing, and this is this is not a typo. He's chasing fifty percent of pitches outside the zone. That that cannot that is way too high. That cannot happen. But also Rizzo's face uh, chasing almost forty percent of pitches outside the zone. Anthony Rizzo, Corey, almost forty. What what is what is going on there? He's been around thirty percent, under thirty, around thirty one percent most of his career. That's a massive uptick. And then Jock, 
you know, Jock's chasing almost 38% as well, and he's been batting the leadoff. I can keep going down the list. Wilson Contreras chasing 34% of pitches. KB's chasing more pitches than typically that we've seen in the years past at 33%. So that's one of the glaring weaknesses is why all of a sudden are your big guys chasing like crazy? And maybe it's because you don't have some of those contact-oriented guys like Duffy and Nico, and maybe that's creating fewer opportunities, I don't know, fewer opportunities to to face pitchers out of the stretch, for example, or facing pitchers when they're not as fatigued or whatever. You saw the effects of having that in 2016 and good parts of 2017 when you're just wearing down pitchers earlier on in the game. I think that's all part of the part of the equation. I think there's many variables here, but the disappointment has to lie in the approach and why all of a sudden are they being so aggressive and why all of a sudden do you have three of your big guys performing worse than literally the worst hitter in second baseman in a national league Corey? yeah so the, i mean it, it it's kind of all over the place i i do want to note at least for like chris bryant like you know he's still got a 368 weighted on base average 135 wrc plus so like he's having a, a very good season um it, it's just to note that that those numbers are sort of buoyed by how good he was in the beginning. And it's, you know, obviously been a bit of a struggle here going on. I, I think with each, you know, Javi's like one of those guys, he just, he, he just ebbs and flows so much. And I think you just kind of have to, to take the good with the bad. It and, seems and this, more so this year though. Right? Yeah, perhaps. Okay. But, you know, we, we've just had this conversation in the beginning of the year and then he went on more of a hot stretch, got those numbers up, you know, above league average and was looking pretty good. Even if it wasn't near that kind of like 2018 MVP level, like the numbers were creeping back up there. And, you know, now we're, we're, back down there right now as we speak to you guys at 10 30 on Sunday night in Chicago he rates as a below league average hitter just barely a 99 WRC plus and you know so that's it's just such an ebb and flow but his in particular his strikeout rate his and Wilson Contreras' strikeout rates both uh pretty like markedly higher than their career norms so um you know, from 2016 on, Javi, uh, 24%, 28%, 26%, 28%, 31% in 2020. It's 38% in 2021 now. And Wilson Contreras from 2016, 24%, 23%, 22%, 24%, 25%. It's 29% in 2021. So both of those guys striking out more than they have. Brendan, you mentioned kind of the chase rates for a lot of these guys are up there. And, you know, of course, it goes along with seeing the double-digit strikeout numbers for the team uh, seemingly on a nightly basis now. So that is obviously (laughs) not good. Um, And, you know, these guys have different, uh, you know, I don't know, reasons for doing it. I think with Javi in particular, though, he just sort of ebbs and flows. You know, then you see him go oppo for uh, a home run there off of Clayton Kershaw, and you're like, okay, (laughs) you know, like, what do I make of this? Um, It's, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. It just, it's up and down. I I think you just kind of have to have to take that. Wilson Contreras coming out of the game on Sunday, rating, uh, you know, a bit above league average, a 107 WRC plus. Um, 
you know, but again, we've talked about the workload for him, not really having a proper backup that the Cubs really trust and, you know, feel comfortable putting out there um, more than super sparingly, right, which is how they're treating Jose Lobatone and really how they've treated basically everybody uh, this season in terms of the backup position. So how does that affect him? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, he's still walking at about the same rate he has throughout his career. So that's good. The power's been there, 13 home runs. Uh, but again, it's it's just been a, a struggle recently for these guys. And the key is that you just don't have these guys performing at that kind of like top tier level. They're likely going to snap out of it. Like this is not, like Chris Bryant's not going to be a 220 yeah. Woba hitter, right? I think the, the 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 problem we have though, and it's in the back of my head at least, it's like, all right, well, this is this going to happen again in August? Is it going to happen again in September? Not with KB. Not, I'm not saying that, but just as an offensive approach alone, because we've seen enough in the last three years. And that's the that's the uncertainty that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like you, and I think once you get Nico and, and hopefully... You know, the Duffy situation is scaring me, the fact that it's been so long for him to even get going. Sure. But the hope is you get these contact guys back, you get Nico back, and maybe he goes up top at the leadoff position and some of these approaches stabilize that the offense starts to mirror that which you saw in May. I think that's if if I had to bet, I think that's more of a likely scenario. But I still think there there is a good probability that we may see these hit or miss approaches again at some point in the season. Yeah, so I I I, I do think you know you can expect these guys to sort of you know similar to Javi talking about ebbing and flowing. I, I think they'll they'll get back the right way. We'll see a nice hot stretch from these guys, and and hopefully some of their overall numbers kind of start to level out. Um, I, I have a thought on the, the Nico Duffy thing. I, I do want to note again, though, rather interesting, uh, Ian Happ just not cracking this lineup a lot. Right. And I, I just, I, I just think it's interesting. So he starts at second base in the second game of this series, uh, but otherwise does not start in this series. Uh, Drops so- a pop up a second base as well. Right. So he only starts one of these games. Um, You know, we saw Marisnik out there for a couple games. Uh, I believe we saw Ortega out there starting the game on Thursday, Hayward in there. So it's just interesting. I, you know, we, we've talked about Hap a ton and, you know, he's been a guy who's had his bouts of inconsistency as well. I just think it's interesting to see how little he's starting. Um, that's all I got. I, I have not heard David Ross offer any thoughts on this. I, you know, and I, I don't want to speculate at all, but I just think it's something worth paying attention to that he is not drawing into this lineup uh, on a very yeah. regular basis over the last week or so. So that is something interesting uh, to to keep an eye on. Just, you know, we're talking about a guy who was the Cubs' best hitter for a good portion of the 2020 season, 26 years old, you know, I think coming into the season, you know, David Ross has even said at times, he envisions this team at its best with Hap back up there in the leadoff spot. He's not even starting over the past mm-hmm. week. So just something to to keep an eye on, a little storyline to sort of see uh, what happens there and, you know, what David Ross is doing to try to get him right, which I assume is sort of the, the motive behind this. Um, I, I do just want to say on like Nico and Duffy in particular, you know, we've seen a little bit more Marisnik. Like it, it, you don't 
you don't necessarily want to view those guys as like the saviors, right? But we've talked before about how this offense really changed when those guys started playing more. When we when we came into the season, we did not necessarily envision at all that Matt Duffy, we didn't even know Matt Duffy was going to break camp with the team, let alone that at one point during the season, we would be not only expecting, but hoping that he was in the lineup on an almost nightly basis. You know, we started the season without Nico. We didn't know when he was going to come up and the role he was going to play. So you don't want to look at them as the saviors, but their approach clearly makes an impact on this team. It, if you look at the, the way the offense has gone, it directly correlates with those guys getting more playing time. And I think it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, right? So I'm not putting these guys in a direct comparison with these two. But I just think that there is a similar kind of mindset to when you look back at the role that Ben Zobris played and the role that Dexter Fowler played, right? And again, I'm not comparing these four players directly, but when Dexter Fowler was in the leadoff spot and he would start the game with an eight-pitch walk or something like that, even if it was an eight-pitch strikeout, right? He set the tone for the lineup. He set the tone. He set an example for the lineup of we are going to battle against this pitcher. We're going to have patience, and here's what we're going to do. And you felt that through the lineup. Ben Zobrist, a different player, a lot more contact, but a similar kind of idea there where the approach that Ben Zobrist had, the professional at-bats that he was taking, set the tone and set an example for the rest of the guys in the offense. We've talked about the leadoff spot literally since the day Dexter Fowler left, right? We've talked about missing a guy like Ben Zobrist and the approach that he brought and using the whole field and making so much contact and having such long, drawn-out professional at-bats. And to degrees, Nico and Matt Duffy in particular bring a lot of those skills. Maybe not in the same ways, maybe not as well, of course, right? Ben Zobrist is a, a, was a world-class player, right? But I do think that there is a real value in it's not necessarily just getting those guys in the lineup for the results that they provide, but it's the approach that they bring and and the way that they diversify that lineup. It changes how starting pitchers pitch not just to those two guys, but the rest of the lineup because they know they're not looking at a full lineup of guys they can just strike out, right? You have to approach each hitter differently when you have more of that in the lineup. So I I I I just want to point out when we keep focusing on those guys it's it's not necessarily uh that they are going to immediately flip the script on this offense and it's and it's just a question of we just need Nico Horner and Matt Duffy and then that's it that's the only thing that matters. But it's it's about what they bring to the table and it's not just in their own results. It affects the entire lineup. It affects the whole team. And we saw it. Like the evidence is there that they have a tangible effect on the entire lineup when they are in it. Yeah. Sahada had a great tweet just right after the Cubs lost that fourth game. Great as in context. Great not as in like this is good for the Cubs. But uh, he said, quote, up to 29.6% K rate in June. 36.7% 36.7% in their last six games, end quote. That, that is 
an insanely high amount, Corey, to be striking out in basically a third of your plate appearances. That's 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 one strikeout per inning, man. Like that that is absolutely remarkable that they're doing this right now. So to get Nico back in there and to maybe elongate those innings and have more competitive innings and more competitive at-bats does, I think you're right, have a trickle effect on what is Javi going to get? Is Javi going to get more at-bats against pitchers out of the stretch? Does the pitcher have to go in and out of the stretch a lot? The sequencing change as a result of more foul balls and all of this stuff. And everything has an influence to a degree. And what we saw in May... The offense was clicking, possibly because you did have those high contact guys in, and you did have Chris Bryant going absolutely bonkers with all the power, and you had Patrick Wisdom kind of supplement that there early in June before everything really kind of fell off the rails. So the the hope is Nico will be back may, maybe this week, Corey. I hope it's this week. Uh, I know he there's some great pictures of him photo bombing Trevor Williams there. The hope the hope is everyone's back, you know, that that Trevor's back, that Nico is back, all all within the next Justin Steele back all within this next you, week. You don't though. look, I'm I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. You don't want to rush Nico. If he's ready True. to go, I would speed up this rehab assignment like you need know, to beat the brewers just... you need to start playing better baseball pretty yeah. soon so yeah I, i'm not i'm not, i'm 100 clear i am not advocating for rushing his rehab if he needs you the are. time you to are. play a couple whatever do it get him healthy take care of that injury as best you can if he's ready to go and he's just Bring getting you know back in the swing of things or whatever, just let him do it with the big league team. They they need yep. the contact. They need him in this lineup. Just get him up here. I I, I need Nico in this lineup, Corey. I, I I'm, I'm telling you, man. If I if I keep seeing these lineups out there with Sogard in there, like what the oh hell? I I hadn't noticed Brendan because you don't tweet it fifty times a day. I have to. It has to be. Someone <laughs> has to make this known. This is an absolute... Cr- Am I crazy no. to be doing this? This no. is not my fault. All right. Uh, let me preview this upcoming series against the Brewers. So we have three-game set. Cubs do travel to Milwaukee. So it's kind of like a home series. So that first game is at 7, 10 p.m. Central. We have Kyle Hendricks in that first game. Kyle on the year. 10 wins. Double-digit wins. A 10-4 and record. A 3.84 ERA. This is going to be a tough series for the Cubs against uh, the, the Brewers pitching here. So they're going to face their three big pitchers. You have Freddie Peralta on the mound for the Brewers. He's 7-2, a 2.11 ERA. And then does not get any easier on Tuesday. Uh, fortunately, the Cubs do have their uh, you know their top two guys in the rotation going. So Zach Davies gets another start here against Milwaukee. Davies on the year of 5-4 record, a 4.31 ERA. They'll be facing Brandon Woodruff on the year 6-3, and three, a 1.89 ERA. And it still does not get easier for the Cubs on Wednesday. You have Jake Arrieta on the mound against Corbin Burns. Uh, Arrieta on the year 5-8, and eight, a 5.32 ERA. Burns on the year, a 3-4 and four record, a 2.53 ERA. That Wednesday start time is at 1.10 p.m. Central. Uh, on Tuesday, the start time is at 710. Don't know, don't know if I said that. And right now, the Brewers have a 45 and 33 record. They are three games up on the 42 and 36 Cubs. So I'm not looking for anything this series. The, the lineup's got to be better. We know that. But uh, we, we got to put up competitive games. I mean, these three pitchers are 
extremely intimidating. Uh, all three have insane whiff rates. They all have multiple pitches. Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, they've had success against the Cubs in the past. Um, I think realistically, if you can get some deep starts from Davies and Kyle and get into that Milwaukee bullpen earlier, I think if, I mean, Milwaukee's bullpen is also really good, but given this pace, I think the Cubs bullpen can outpace them in this series. So competitive at-bats, get to their bullpen fast, try to scrape out two wins. That would be amazing to get two wins in this series, but it's going to be tough, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we we knew this year this stretch was tough, this portion of the schedule. Um, but like I said in the beginning, like the the key to acknowledging, like, yeah, it's been a tough schedule. Cubs facing a ton of good pitchers. You got to take care of business when your schedule softens up, and you have to take care of business in the division. And it starts with this Brewer series. And the Cubs have not, you know, they they have not fared as well as you would like in Milwaukee. Uh, over the past few years, I don't think so. It's it's tough. The the Brewers, for as much as you know, certainly me, I look at their roster like all the time, and certainly every spring. And then I look at the projections, and I always ask you, Brendan. I always text you. It's like once a year in spring. Why do the computers like this team so much? I don't get it. And every year they're proven right. They they whatever it is. Brewers devil magic I don't know the the Cardinals have been playing terribly like they they just got their they'll their bell rung by the Pirates uh at home I think they were getting booed off the field in St. Louis which is great oh that's great but it, it it appears that some of that magic has transferred over to uh Milwaukee, Milwaukee. Wisconsin or however it's working but that team clearly knows how to win games. They they have a formula with their pitching and with their bullpen in particular that they win games. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me uh, when I look at it, but it's it's impossible to argue. So it's it's not been a, a, an easy place for the Cubs to play up there uh, lately, but you have to take care of business. Uh, it's a tight division, but at the moment, you know, that's the team in front of you. That's the team that if you're, you know, looking long term on this season, you're kind of figuring is going to be your main competition. And you got to take care of business. So that's really what it is. Um, and that's what I'm looking for. You know, it's it's very easy to look at a series in Los Angeles and say, look, a trip out west, you face a lot of tough pitchers. That lineup is really good. The Dodgers got healthier as the Cubs went out there. No shame in losing three or four to that Dodger team, especially when you win the season series against the Dodgers. So you ended up playing them pretty well on the year. But none of that really matters if you don't take care of business in your division, especially with a team that is immediately in front of you. So it starts with this series and yeah, two out of three would be amazing. Uh, Then you've got, you know, one more series to finish off this kind of brutal stretch and can kind of take a breath. Again, it's still on the Cubs to deliver as the schedule lightens up, but it will be nice to just not keep seeing some of these teams on the schedule uh, for, for just a second. It'll be nice to step away from the Dodgers and the Padres and so uh let's let's win some games there in Milwaukee (laughs) so good to me yeah so I think that's all we have for you Uh, a weird series like I said it's 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 always a weird one where the overall sort of uh feeling is negative but it started literally with a combined no hitter um just (laughs) weird vibes right like I I I was really hoping the Cubs were going to be able to split would have been thrilled with that 
um, and, you know, hopefully had had more positives to talk about than, you know, kind of just some pitching performances in a single game. But that's where we are. But, you know, they they have the opportunity to forget about all that, flip the script really quickly there by playing well in Milwaukee and setting themselves up uh, to finish this road trip and, and come back to Wrigley Field in a good place in the division. So hopefully that is what we are talking about when we discuss things with you next. As always, we thank you guys for supporting the Cubs Related Podcast, uh, for, you know, leaving uh, five-star reviews and a comment on the Apple Store, if that's where you happen to listen, subscribing and and rating wherever you listen, Spotify or anywhere else. We appreciate your support very much. We appreciate uh, interacting with all of you guys on social media. And more than anything, uh, as always, we just appreciate you guys downloading and listening to the podcast because that is ultimately what means a lot to us. So thank you for that and your continued support. We will talk to you guys after the Cubs finish up with the Milwaukee Brewers. And as always, go Cubs.